friends, welcome. I'm Andrew Hicks, and you're listening to the Text and Context Podcast. Hey, Text and Context listeners. I just wanted to make you aware of some free resources that are available for you if this series of classes on Mark has particularly sparked your interest. So you can head over to my website, and I have an article that gives you all sorts of great free resources, links where you can follow and study Mark on your own time. So head on over to textandcontext.com forward slash Mark. Remember, it's text and context without ease. So that would be txt and contxt.com forward slash Mark. And there's all sorts of great resources there for you to come through, including a link to the PowerPoint that I've been using as I teach this class. So if you're only listening to this podcast and you're not actually present on Sunday morning in Bible class, then you can have access to this PowerPoint. Or if you are present, but you just want to reference the PowerPoint later, again, there's a link to that PowerPoint there, as well as a couple of book recommendations in case you really want to go for a deep dive into the Gospel of Mark. Either way, thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast. I wasn't like officially signaling yet, but now I am. It definitely makes a difference. I think it does. For sure. Billy said he, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Billy said he went in there and just beat on the drums like crazy to test it the other day and said it worked pretty well. Night and day. So. Like they're still playing and. The only way it bothers me is when we're singing and I'm singing our song, but I'm tapping my foot to their song because I'm familiar with it. Or if you ever see me singing in church and then I like stumble because I can't figure out the words, it's because I started to sing their song. That's the only thing other than that. But. Yeah. Yeah. Their opening song is always the louder one, right? I mean, that's the good flow of the music. So makes sense. So, all right, my clock says 9.30. I'm going to start teaching. I'm a, I'm a true Church of Christ pe- preacher. I'm long-winded, so we got to get this show going. Maybe we'll get past one verse. Hey, hey. Oh, goodness. Tracy. <laughs> That's true. Tracy, just for that, you have to pray to start. Your punishment is prayer. What a great punishment. Punishment fits the crime. Maria, Maria, I haven't seen you in a while. How are you? I'm good. We're trying to start class here. Where's the hubby? Steve is in the truck. Oh, okay. He's coming. In the truck. Did you just leave him there? Well, he's thank you. One of his planes broke down. Thank you. Yes, he is. Yeah, go ahead, Tracy. Pray for us. Amen. All right. So uh, we stopped off here last week because I didn't want to go full-fledged into this because this is fantastic. Okay. So um, again, it's the sandwiching thing, right? It's the layers, but this is like layer on layer on layer. This is a big mark. Okay. A big mark and sandwich. A muffled up sandwich. A what now? 
I feel like you're cursing or saying some foreign language that I can't understand. Okay. Okay. It looks good. Though. This is like service with a smile. I'm telling you, the food, the food in the foyer has gone up levels and levels each week. I'm telling you, some week I'm going to come in, they're going to have a, a towel draped over. Table for two, sir. Please. Yeah, it, it's one of those big, I think of like a club sandwich. You know, it's got the multiple layers. Or for real, a Big Mac, you know, it's got like the extra bread in the middle and stuff. Or, or to take this Jewish, Ron, my, my, my friend who's into the Jewish stuff, um, it's a menorah. Yeah. Right, you know, like uh, like our candles back here, it has two on either side and one in the center. Mm-hmm. It's like that. It's a, it's a menorah pattern, which is more keeping with how they might have thought of it being uh, Jewish at that time. Um, but notice, and, and again, I can't emphasize the center is the key in these scenarios. Right, the the meat is the reason. The bread is just there to help you consume the meat. Yes, right. which is why for uh, I used to work at Sonic, and people would come in and order a hamburger without the buns. You have to wrap it a very special way, but you can make it happen because what they care about is the stuff in the middle. The bread is besides what nobody says, give me a hamburger without the stuff in the middle, just the bread. Nobody says that. That's ridiculous. Unless you're going to Fuddruckers and then you certainly say that because that's the only reason we go to Fuddruckers. Okay. This is getting off on all sorts of weeds. No, uh, the center and notice the center here is just a few short verses, but the center is really a summary of all of Jesus's ministry. And this is kind of a, um, if I'm remembering this right, this is kind of like a day in the life of Jesus's ministry is kind of the way Mark presents this. Because it seems as if it's one full day, this story. Um, and it, it's kind of like, you know, a day in the life of Jesus's ministry. If we were a documentary crew, we'd be following him around and be like, yeah, well, this is kind of how I start my day. And this is kind of, and then they give the summary in the middle instead of the end or the beginning. And that's, that's kind of what he's filling out for us. Okay. All right. So, um, yeah, casting as a day in the life of Jesus. And then uh, you also have a little bit past this, and it's kind of a week in the life of Jesus. So it's like a day, and then we spread it out to a week. Again, it's just like quintessential Jesus' ministry. So Mark, rather than giving us a bunch of different stories as much as he can, he's like, let me just give you a flavor for how Jesus runs his ministry, and you can fill in the blanks. And by you, he means Matthew, Luke. John, everybody else, but he's just like, I'm going to give you a taste. So this is the, uh, the quintessential example of his ministry. And they're examples of the nearness of the kingdom. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And it is near. It's breaking in. That's what kingdoms do. Kings send their armies to invade. The kingdom of heaven is near. That's, that's a more ominous image when you remember that. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's breaking in. Time to turn or burn, you could say. And so, I mean, he's the nearness of the kingdom. His army is coming in. Okay, let's actually read some text. Uh, does anybody uh, want to read this section for me? Uh, chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Man with an unclean spirit. Anybody? Go for it. Go for it. Sure. Tracy's doing everything. Unclean spirit, convulsing him 
and crying with a loud voice came out of him. They were all amazed and they kept on asking one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Good. Right off the top, let me just ask, because I'm... Um, one of the things I hope to do is to tease you enough about Mark so that you now, I don't have to point anything out. You're just like, oh, he said immediately, uh, uh, because you guys have already started doing that to me. So let me just ask, what do you notice in this passage so far? I'll leave it up for a sec. What do you notice? Anything. There's no wrong observation. Okay. Unless there is. Ah, yeah. As soon as the demon says, well, I know who you are. Nobody else does. You're the Holy One of God. And then he says, shh, don't tell nobody. And if, and yeah. if he said he was at that time, he would have, he hadn't laid the groundwork for yeah. you know, yeah. that revelation. Yes, yes. And, and um, again and again, you're going to see that the demons always know who Jesus is, even when the disciples don't. Yeah. His own disciples, the people who are supposed to know who Jesus is. Ah! Yeah. It's interesting. Okay. okay. Anybody else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the immediately part I see, mm-hmm. verse 23, just then. Just then. There you go. Okay. That's immediately. Okay. Yeah. But um, I guess I need a little clarification. For okay. He them as one having authority, not as the Ah. So what were the scribes doing differently that made his so different? Good question. Great question. I think the scribe is somebody who writes down copies. Mm-hmm. It is not injecting any bias or anything, any sure. opinion or yeah. anything. Right. It's, it's just they're they're the scholars of the day, also, yeah. Yeah. and there's some disagreement. Here's my thought: It seems that they tended to, rather than say, "Well, here's what it is," they tended to say, "Well, Rabbi so and so says," "Well, Rabbi so and so says," and you can say, "Yeah, but what do you think?" And they're like, "Well, you know, Rabbi so and so says," and Rabbi so and so says, and they might give you contradictory opinions, quoting twenty different rabbis. Or they might give you one opinion, but quoting 30 different rabbis. And they're like, so you're thinking this. And they're like, well, it's what rabbi so-and-so. And you're like, no, what do you think? And Jesus, rather than feeling the need to quote all these other authorities, he just says, this is how it is. Which is not necessarily how their teachers and scribes taught at the time. Yeah, my, the message says, um, I love the message. they were surprised at his teaching so forthright, so confident, not mm. quibbling and quoting like the religion scholars. That's good. You know... People rag on the message a lot because it's like very paraphrastic. But here's something that makes it different than like every other paraphrase is Eugene Peterson, the guy that did it, has a PhD in Semitic languages from John Hopkins, and he paraphrased directly from Greek and Hebrew. So if you can paraphrase directly from Greek and Hebrew, you can criticize it. Otherwise, just saying, it's not that bad. It's pretty good. And half the time it seems to really catch some of those nuances like that that otherwise it doesn't bring out. So it's, I love the message. Love the message. Hannah loves it too. That's what her Bible is down there. Yeah, so also, it's good. Go for it. You know, talk about having authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he spoke, he proved it. Mm. Okay, he elaborate on that. And the demon answered and came out. I mean, mm. you know, the scribes couldn't infer that they couldn't do that. Mm. You know, so when you're teaching, but you you can't do it. Mm-hmm. Or prove your greatness or whatever immediately. Then good. You're 
you're just kind of making an opinion. Excellent. About yes. Something. That's all it is. I love they that. They gave him their opinions. Mm. Their opinions. He didn't give them an opinion. Mm. How could he? He is the word. <laughs> Everything he says. Yeah. Reference to the chosen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nicodemus is Good. in there, and he hears about Jesus because he goes in to cast out the demon. I guess it was Mary, mm-hmm. uh, and it ran him out basically. Yes. He ran out afraid, and then he finds out later, sees her clean of the spirit, yes. and and uh, says what happened. And yes. He's and he's blown away. He has to start yes. Investigating what happened. How did this happen? Because I should be able to do that, and I can't. Yes. I love that you said that because that's where my mind went. And I wanted to point out. Okay, so a couple things. First, they went to Nicodemus thinking he could cast out the demon. Why? Historically, they weren't perfect at it, but the Jews had a better track record of casting out demons than the pagans did. So even the pagans would sometimes come to them historically at this period to get them to cast out the demons. But they didn't always do it well. The Romans said, this is your thing. thing. But Jesus doesn't... Instantly, there's no, there's no hesitation, and also he doesn't have to. He, did you remember he brought like this incense yeah, right. thing, and he's quote, Jesus doesn't have to do any of that mess. He doesn't have to do any incantations or rituals. He says, "Be gone," and it's gone. He says, "Shut up," and it shuts up, and that's it. End of story, because he doesn't have to have all that. So there, there's part of that authority. And notice, we're already doing what they did too, and we're going to point this out more later. Are they astounded by his teaching, or are they astounded by the casting out of the demon? It's, it's both. Yeah. They're connected in their mind. What's the connection? Because to me, I think of like casting on a demon, teaching on a Sunday morning. I don't think of those two as going together. But maybe they do. Notice, notice this. Um, let's see. They went to Capernaum on the Sabbath. They entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, blah, blah, blah. Just then, immediately, there was in the man, there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Okay, this is not Jesus walking up to some dude on the street and being like, you... I'm going to pick a fight with you, demon. Pick up. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, minding his own business. This dude wanders in and starts going, what's your deal? Yeah. It's like, you're picking the fight with me. I'm not picking the fight with you. You see that? Yeah. Yeah. Or is he picking a fight with him? The kingdom of God is near. That's threatening. Why is he so threatened? All he's doing is teaching. Oh, there's no such thing as all you're doing is teaching. Verse 28 says that once too. Yep. Once. And immediately his fame spreads throughout the land. Of course it does. Of course it's immediately. There's an urgency to the gospel for our brother Mark. Absolutely. It's entirely possible that what he was teaching on was the offense. Mmm. Mmm. Elaborate. What do you mean by that? Depending on where, where the scripture he was pulling from for that day mm-hmm. might have been very somewhat along the lines that the kingdom of God is near. Mm-hmm. And to set free. Yeah. Might have just basically set up the demon to, to cry out, what do, you, what do you need to do with this? So Luke in his gospel, whenever Jesus goes to Nazareth and teaches, he's reading from the scribe that says, set the captives free, etc. Um, and then he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, everything Jesus reads, this isn't like, all right, today we're going to begin our boring lecture on something deep from Scripture that nobody cares. No, like everything is like pulsing and alive. And he's like, it's right here. It's being fulfilled. And the kingdom is near. And even when he's not coming up to the demon and saying, let's tussle, the demon feels threatened as if he is because he is, but in a different way. 
by his teaching. Yeah. There's a place where he goes to the synagogue and he stands up and reads from Isaiah and he says, today in your hearing yes. this is fulfilled. And they looked at him like, well, he's claiming to be God. What the, yeah. Uh, Luke 4. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's um, and he was reading from, of course, Isaiah. What else would he read from? The most quoted book in the New Testament. Underappreciated in Christian circles. Okay, I have a few notes. We've probably already touched some of this. First of, this is the first of the exorcisms. This is also his first miracle. Um, oh, Capernaum. We've got to talk about Capernaum. Uh, Capernaum. Okay, so if you go tour Israel, and by the way, Lauren and I are working on trying to get a uh, tour to the uh, Holy Land from the gathering. So keep that in the back of your mind. That would be really cool. Um, they've loosened a lot of their traveling restrictions in Israel, so you can go do that. It'd be really great. Her and I would lead it. She'd do the spiritual aspect. I'd do the academic side. It'd be great. Anyway, keep that in your mind. Just plug, shameless plug. Um, but if you, go, if, you, if you go tour today and you go to Capernaum, a couple things we've got to talk about. One, there's a big sign on the entrance of every side that you go into Capernaum that says the hometown of Jesus. And you're like, hold up. Jesus wasn't born in Capernaum. Jesus was born in Bethlehem because we're all, you know, scholars in our mind. Here's the catch. The adult Jesus had a hometown, a home base. It was Capernaum. This is where Jesus does his work. By the way, we're going to find out soon. Peter has a home in Capernaum. We know where that house is, too. Like of all the historical sites that were like, eh, he may or may not have done this here. That's probably Peter's house. And they built a church on top of it. And you can go see it today. And the synagogue where Jesus just did this. Well, it was actually destroyed. But then one was built right back on top of it, and it's pretty close to that one. And you can go see it. It's right in the same spot. It's got the same general architecture. It's there. I'm going to show you pictures in a minute. But it's, uh, it's there. You can go see it. And so Capernaum also, another fun thing, go to our Hebrew, town of Nahum. Capernaum. You hear the Nahum in it, right? Capernaum, town of Nahum. Town of comfort. Nahum means comforted. It's interesting. But Nahum also is the one who announces the judgment of God upon Assyria. We know because we studied Nahum and we're smart like that. Yes, uh, I was preaching Nahum on Sunday morning for a couple weeks there. Uh, but uh, yeah, he, Nahum is the one who announces God's judgment on Assyria, which is comforting to Israel because Assyria was oppressing them. Hmm, might Jesus be announcing God's judgment on another evil and vicious empire that might be good news to God's people to be set free from? Maybe. Because it sure seems like a certain um, empire that begins with an R and ends with an Om was very threatened by nearly everything Jesus did. You with me? He's in the village of Nahum. I mean, come on. That's hopping off of the page. Yeah. Okay. And then also, uh, one other thing. Oh, John says that Peter and Andrew are from Bethsaida, not Capernaum. So, I don't know. Maybe they... Grew up there and then moved to Capernaum like Jesus, born somewhere else, established his home base somewhere else. I don't know. Interesting side note to keep you awake at night. Um, Is Bethsaida on the coast? I mean, is it on the water? Yeah, it is. Uh, It's on a different side, though. Yeah, it's on a different side. I don't remember. I'd have to look at it. I don't remember where they are. They're probably not that far apart anyway. So uh, back home in northeast Arkansas, I grew up in Paragould. Hannah grew up in Jonesboro. You could say Paragould and mean Jonesboro. You could say Jonesboro and mean Paragould because tomato, tomato. They're right there, right? We live in Bastrop. You know what I tell people? I live outside of Austin. Because nobody knows what I mean whenever I say Bastrop back home. I'm teaching them slowly. Well, where technically? 
It's a town called Bastrop. Oh, that's cute. Where is that? Outside of Austin. Oh, okay, great. Right. It's like, so it's probably like that, I imagine. So soon to be a suburb. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I've already talked about the immediately. Synagogue just means gathering. Hey, hey. All right. We're the synagogue, the gathering. All right. Uh, I do want to say, um, yeah, that synagogue is still there. Oh, this is it. Mark emphasizes Jesus as teacher, but he doesn't actually include a lot of his teaching. So, like, Matthew includes huge chunks of Jesus' teaching. The Sermon on the Mount, three straight chapters, and then he has four other ones. Oh, I can't resist. I have to go there for a second. Even though we're in Mark, I have to go to Matthew for a second. The Sermon on the Mount is actually the first of how many large chunks of teaching in Matthew's gospel? Five total. Hmm. Is there some figure we know of in Scripture who had something to do with five books that were extremely instructive for the people of Israel? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. How many is that? Yeah. The new Moses is here. Okay, sorry. Had to. But um, Matthew gives us the content. Exactly. Exactly. The Sermon on the Mount, like, come on. That had to be hour long. Like, there's no way it was summed up in 15 minutes. Right. Come on. But um, you can quote it in 15 minutes. But but, um, Mark doesn't give us much of the content. He's more concerned of the image of the teacher. You notice that difference? That's interesting. So Matthew says, yeah, yeah, he was a teacher. Here's what he said. Mark says he was a teacher and he said a lot of great things. But man, notice how the people acted to that. He's more interested in the effects of Jesus being a teacher, what it means as an image of the teacher, this rabbi, for him to be that, rather than the content of the teaching specifically. He shows some content, mostly parables and that kind of thing. But for the most part, he, he'll over and over again make these mentions like, oh, yeah, and Jesus was teaching for a while. Anyway, and naturally we're like, well, what did he say? And I wonder if Mark also, because you think about it, they, it's a story, right? It goes from one end to the other. And we tend to isolate passages and then forget about everything else. So if you just are reading along and you keep getting these hints of, well, and he was teaching and then people were aggravated. Well, he was teaching and then people were aggravated. Well, he was teaching and they were astonished. What do you start asking yourself rhetorically? Well, what was he teaching? Why are they so aggravated? And you know what you start to do? You start to make some assumptions and you start to fill in the blanks. I wonder if Mark wants us to do that. Well, what is it that he's teaching? And then from his actions, do we start to fill in some blanks? Well, what is he claiming by that? Well, what did it... And so you kind of start to piece some stuff together. Mark is subtle like that, right? He's a good storyteller. He wants to kind of make you sit on the edge of your seat and lean in and pay attention a little. Okay, how about some pictures? So, let's see. Uh, Rosemary, you weren't in here, but you need to whoop David. Because he brought it in here and he said, well, it's for Rosemary. You go whoop him. We'll look the other way. It's fine. This is the synagogue. I've been there. It's, um, there's not, I mean, it's, it's at this point, it's been, you know, worn down over time. This is not the exact one Jesus went to. Okay. This was rebuilt, I think in the third or fourth century. The original one was demolished by the Romans. Thanks Rome. But, um, it's exactly on the same spot. They were looking to reconstruct what was destroyed. So it's like, if this building burned down, would we make a few improvements? Sure. Would it have the same general essence? Yeah, probably. 
You see what I'm saying? Like, oh, we'll add an extra door here because that didn't make sense. Oh, we're going to put an awning out there this yeah. time. You know, whatever. They probably use the same stones. I mean, why yeah. bring in Great point. stone? <laughs> Great point. So, but this, I mean, it gives you a feel for what it looked like, right? So, um, and I don't know if this picture's it or not. I don't think it's there. This is like an image from the outside of it, and then this is inside of it. But I believe that there's a seat here, which is where they read the Torah. The teacher sits, everybody else stands in a synagogue, right? So everybody stand and I will sit. No, that's, uh, but that's how they did it in the, uh, the early synagogues is the teacher would sit, the people would stand, but there was a chair, the seat of Moses. You remember Jesus makes mention of they love to sit on the seat of Moses and teach people. That's where they would sit down, read the Torah, and then give a, an, an exhortation from it. So, yeah. Didn't they read the Torah standard? Huh? I thought they read the Torah standard. Maybe they do. I don't know. I, I could be wrong on that. I have no idea. This was a well, I was thinking, no, no, you're good. I was thinking about in Luke chapter 4, the passage we were talking about where he, um, I thought he sat down and started reading. Yeah, look it up, Micah. You're a Bible student. Uh, I thought he stood. Oh, maybe he stood. I, I have no idea what I'm talking about. You know what? Why am I up here? Micah is correct. And then he talks, right? So he's sitting in the seat of Moses. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I stand corrected. It was, in fact, that they would stand to read the Torah as a sign of respect, and then they would sit down on the seat of Either way, there was a seat of Moses that they sat on to teach. Okay. <laughs> no, that's helpful. That is helpful, and that, that is a good point, because historically they have stood to read Scripture. Yeah. And here we are sitting on our butts. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so I do want to do just a couple notes on uh, a synagogue, just kind of to give you the feel for how this went and I, I have a few things here uh and if it gets too tedious and you're like i don't care we can skip past some of the synagogue stuff but i i find this fascinating so i'm going to give you some historical synagogue stuff now uh <laughs> what'd you say I love okay good i'm messing with you man uh typical synagogue service would be structured loosely as follows you start with some prayers you do your readings from the law and the prophets and oral targum targum is the message in the first century so the, the law and the prophets are written in Hebrew, Hebrew yeah. But uh, the Targums are in Aramaic, which is the language of the people. It's like the difference from going, uh, maybe today, since not many read Greek and Hebrew today, unless you're in like a Jewish congregation or something, but, uh, or Greek Orthodox or something. But like the King James has such wooden language. And so like it'd be like traditionally we would read the King James because it has this poetic feel to it and you may get bits and pieces but you're like what in the world did I just read and then they read like the NASB or something to give you a feel for what it was or then they just kind of off the cuff say well here's what it was saying it's like that that's what they did because a lot of the people didn't read Hebrew only the scribes and them read Hebrew but they would listen to it anyway just because that's what you did so it's uh you know actually something comparable might be in I need to look this up because I might be quoted and be wrong but uh in mosques, they still read the Quran from Arabic. And my understanding is not many American Muslims, anyway, actually, like, speak or read Arabic much. Some, and they, like, know their phrases they're supposed to say, but, like, they don't always, like, know it super fluent, but then they'll explain it. So maybe that's, like, the closest parallel today, and that's a Semitic language, so it connects. Anyway. Or the what? That's even better. 
Yeah, Christian example. I should have gone there. Okay. All right, Micah, you need to come help me, man. <laughs> he said like the Latin mass. Like in Catholic Church, they do the Latin mass and then they'll explain in English, right? Yeah. I think so. Well, the sermon is in English, but all the responses are in Latin and everybody knows the responses. But they don't necessarily know what it means. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah, so it's like that. That's good. And then a sermon on the seat of Moses. And then a closing benediction, like the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, yada, yada. Um, yeah, they've been closing their services with that for long, 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 long time. So. Um, okay, more random stuff on the synagogue, literally gathering. Uh, okay, synagogues actually revolutionized the practice of Judaism. Okay. Yes, you can only make sacrifices in the temple. temple. Yeah, in Jerusalem. But what are we going to do the rest of the week? We celebrate Sabbath every Saturday. But why keep that together? Why don't we come together? And, you know, in between the festivals where we're required to go to Jerusalem, let's, let's celebrate Sabbath communally. Let's get some readings from the law and the prophets. If we all, you know, tithe a little bit, we can afford a Torah scroll. And, and so it's that kind of thing. They, they go in together. Uh, and again, you can put them anywhere. It doesn't have to be in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. You can put it anywhere. And so it's a, uh, it's a big deal. And uh, the leadership is good, too, because like a good Church of Christ, everybody can do something. You don't have to be a priest or a Levite to lead in the synagogue. Everybody can lead. Now, probably not women in the first century. But, well, it depends on the synagogue, actually. Or even the 21st. Or even the 21st, yeah. Uh, Really, it depends on the synagogue. There are synagogue leaders that were female. Um, You get a few mentions of this in Scripture. It's it's rare. It's not the norm. But it happened. It happened. Um, And they put them uh, all over the place. I mean, you find them. Really, the idea is that you want to, um, so even today, I'm given to understand, and if, if somebody knows, they can help me clarify, but like Jew, uh, good practicing Jews today who celebrate Sabbath want a synagogue not that far from their house so they don't have to go too far to get to it because it's Sabbath and they don't want to work too hard to get to it. Yeah, there's a distance in the Torah. Yes. You can only travel miles. Correct. Yeah, and to this day, they count their steps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you want it to be within a certain distance. So I'm pretty sure in Memphis they have, like, a Jewish part of town where, like, the synagogue is super close so that it's just right there. They can walk to it. Don't have to drive or anything like that. And they wanted to keep them close, super close, which is kind of like the old-timey way you used to just, you know, we'll just have a corner church, the, the local parish kind of thing. We don't really do that anymore, and now we drive however long from Austin or from wherever to go to church. But... Um, that's kind of how they used to do it before, you know, they couldn't just hop in their, their car and drive wherever they want, you know, off to the suburbs or whatever. Um, and this is the precursor to the church. The church based their model on the synagogue. That's where they got most of their model for gathering. Um, also, I mean, you know, sacrifice is great and all, but you can imagine that the ceremony of sacrifice gets old after a while, especially if you only do it a few times a year. So they could sing hymns and they could quote the Lord bless you and keep you and they could listen to the Torah and they could do other things so that they didn't have to just rely on going to the temple every time they could do this. And the Targums, they were big there because we can hear it in our language. We want the Torah in Hebrew, of course, because that's how God revealed it. But we also want to understand what it's saying. So give us some Aramaic so we can understand it. Um, oh, yeah, they also all gathered in the same room. That was a big deal. 
Men and women gathered in the same synagogue. They may not have always been able to lead, but they gathered right there with the men. In the temple, you have different courts. Even Gentiles could join in the synagogue without division or separation. Now, they may stand off from the Gentiles because Gentiles. But they were all welcome into the same space, the same room at the same time. So, it's interesting. Uh, Okay. They were astounded at his teaching. Um, We have no idea, but again, the kingdom of God is near as to what he's doing. We don't know exactly what he said in the synagogue. Wouldn't you like to have a recording of his sermons in the synagogue? Jesus' best hits, right? But um, amazement at Jesus and specifically at his teachings is something that happens over and over and over and over. Again, half the time we don't even get any explanation of what he said other than and he taught, and everybody was like, whoa. Now, if you heard somebody say, on Sunday, we had the best sermon you've ever heard, I'd be like, send me a recording. Send me a YouTube link. Let's hear it. You know. But instead, Mark's just like, yeah, it was great. Everybody was like, whoa, this is the best sermon I've ever heard. What is this guy? But we have no idea what he said, and we're left to wonder. Um, again, because he taught as one not having authority. We talked about that. Uh, da, 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 da. Trying to make progress today so we don't stay here forever. Oh, yeah. So the scribes would quote their oral traditions or the teachings of the rabbi. Remember, Pharisees were big on their oral traditions. They, they actually, some of them believed that not only did God give Moses the Torah, what we have written down, but he also gave him the oral Torah, that is the traditions around the Torah for interpreting it, which they quote. They were eventually written down after the first century, uh, some of them, into what we call uh, the Talmud. And then commentary on that, the Mishnah. So notice that Talmud is commentary on the Torah. And then we have a commentary on the commentary. And then commentary on the commentary. Yeah. Gets complicated. Yeah, we do that too. Uh, Immediately in their synagogue. Again, is this guy even Jewish? Is he even even concerned to participate in the service? Again, I just get the image. Jesus is teaching, teaching. And the guy just waltzes in and says, what's your deal, man? He's not picking a fight, or at least it doesn't seem that way, but the, the demon-possessed man sure thinks whatever it is Jesus is doing is picking a fight with him. He feels threatened. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And then he says, shh, don't tell nobody. Um, what is it? A new station. Oh, okay. Um, no, no, you're good, you're good. Um, Three times it says unclean spirit. Here's another little, um, for you nerds out there, here's another little funny thing you can look for. Mark loves threes. So in a story, he'll use the same phrase or the same word three times. So for example, it says unclean spirit three times. And over and over again, so like, you know, if it's significant that the man stood after he was healed, it'll, it might say stood three times. And it usually comes out in your translation too. So I just underlined it and in the margin put times three. So, but yeah, he three times the unclean spirit. Um, so we... That's OCD? That's very OCD. It's very OCD. And for a guy whose grammar is so bad, he's really a brilliant and articulate storyteller. Which is why I always say grammar doesn't matter. God inspired Mark. Um, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? That's what I'm saying. That's intense for a dude who just wandered into some dude. If some dude showed up in the middle of my preaching and was like, what have you to do with us, Andrew of Paragold? Have you come to destroy us? I'd be like, no, dude, I'm trying to preach. And if Max Proctor hadn't shot him dead by that point, I mean, you know. Uh, 
Glad he's not here. Um, in the demonic realm, notice it's uncontested who Jesus is and what his authority is. His authority is unquestioned. In the human realm, those questions are constantly debated. Constantly. Remember James. The demons know there's a God and they shudder. Big whoop. Intellectually assenting to the fact that there is a God. Intellectually assenting to the fact that Jesus is Messiah. Good. It's a good thing. But even the demons can do it. You're on level playing field with the demonic. Good for you. Like, there's more to it, right? There's the obedience factor. Which is part of the reason I wonder if Mark loves to shoot in that immediately. You may not understand it all. You may not be able to conceptualize it all. But immediately. Just now. Let's do it. Let's go. Jesus said it. Let's do it. I wonder if that's kind of his, his feeling for putting in all those immediately's. Um, go for it. When he says, have you come to destroy us? Is mm. that because Jesus was saying the kingdom is at hand? Meaning, you know, this quickly are coming. So did he see that as a threat? A destruction? I, I guess I'm it sure seems that way. Jesus. So he had heard of, about Jesus. And had some knowledge of what Jesus had been saying. Mm-hmm. I don't know, this is our first record of him doing that. Right. In a public place, I guess, so. Right. Yeah. When Jesus goes to the cross, and in fact, the whole, I wouldn't even say to the cross, I would say all of the Christ event, everything of Jesus from cons- uh, virgin birth to ascension, and even after, all of that is the definitive statement that sin is defeated, death is done, Satan doesn't have a hold. Right. Right. Of course that's threatening, right? And also, you know, you read in Revelation 20 where they're cast into the lake of fire. And here's a tidbit for another day. Uh, only Satan and his demons, are, we're told, are thrown into the lake of fire. That's not something we're told about for everybody. We act as if that's something everybody gets. We're only told Satan and his demons get that specific punishment. Just saying. But um, also, yeah, that's another thing. Um, <coughs> We want to go here. Yeah, I'll get written off as a heretic. Um, So in that regard, um, I think in the end, uh, Satan's not in charge of hell, by the way. He's not the taskmaster. Satan doesn't have enough power or authority. He's a loser. He's the loser. He's a prisoner. And Now, Rob may disagree with me on this, but uh, here's some controversy we can talk about later. He was saying we needed to have more debates, so I needed to push him on theology stuff. Um, Here's what I think. Um, I don't think he's imprisoned in hell forever. I think he's destroyed. End of story. Done. Gone. Satan's a loser. His tail is tucked between his legs, and he's running scared, and then God finally says, all right, let's get, let's get on to the good parts. That's what I think happens. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're terribly threatened. Their demise is 100% absolutely certain now, and there's no turning back. Have you come to destroy us? Oh, yeah, but not yet. I'm going to make you wait for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just going to say kind of what you had. When he said, have you come to destroy us, he's expecting that. Yes. Eventually. Yes. No, yeah, he is expecting that. Is this the time? And Jesus, I, I, I would like to think that Jesus has a sly grin on his face and he says, not yet. <laughs> so notice, for the people who everybody else is like, stupid blind man, he won't shut up. He keeps hollering at Jesus, shut up and sit down. For those people, Jesus is like, come here. And for the demons, he's like... Yeah, you're so big and bad. <laughs> he slyly smiles and says, yeah, you're done for. That's what you do. You're done for. That's what you would do. Yeah. If you were Jesus. Yeah. You do that sly smile. 
I would, yeah, I would. I'd be a very snarky Jesus. You bet I would. You bet I would. I would absolutely. Uh, so this is a really odd thing in Greek, uh, but the phrase "what to us and to you" is more literally. It's like "what to us and to you," which is a weird thing to say. It's probably an idiom from Aramaic that got translated to Greek, which is why it comes across really wooden and weird. But it's probably something in the sense of "what do you have against me?" or "what's your deal, man?" That's what I'm saying. He's coming at it. This is like, um, me and you, man. What? Uh, I was just thinking of the, when you like, like in a fine conversation, sometimes people like, me and me and outside. Yeah. Yes, I like that. I like that. Yeah, it's like, it's like, hey, let's take this outside. Yeah, you and me. I like that. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what it is. What to me and to you? Let's take this outside, Jesus. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's provoking a fight, he's threatened. And most people provoke a fight whenever they're threatened, by the way. Most people who truly are in power don't have to provoke a fight in the first place. Jesus doesn't have to provoke a fight in the first place. He's already in control. This guy's bothered, so he's going to fight. Why? To try to change the outcome if he can. He can't. Of course he can. But he's going to try. What's your deal, man? I love that. What does the message say? I'm curious about the guy talking. What business do you have here with us, Jesus, Nazarene? I know what you're up to. You're the Holy One of God, and you've come to destroy us. He's not saying, have you come to destroy us? He's saying, you've come to destroy us. Mm -hmm. Uh, In Greek, there's not really a question mark necessarily. So sometimes it's debatable whether it's a question mark or not. They do, but they don't. It's sketchy. (laughs) It's not clear. In English or Spanish or anything, like nowadays it's super clear. It's not clear. It could be a statement. But I still like that, uh, the phrase he said, uh, I know what you're up to. Yeah. I like that. I know what, I you're, know what you're up to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is what he's up to. And, and it's, uh, it means the certain demise of, of the demonic of Satan and his lackeys. Uh, so we're getting near the end. We're still in this section. We got, yeah, I got more stuff here, of course. Uh, so we will uh, keep on with it uh, next week. I know you're sitting on the edge of your seat. What's going to happen? What random and ridiculous details can we throw in next? Uh, With Mark, you just never know. But those ridiculous details are usually ridiculously, specifically uh, beautiful. I love, love, love the way God's servant Mark tells the story. Um, And I'll harp on it more whenever I preach. Okay, let me have the honor of praying this out, and then we can go uh, hit the buffet. (laughs) Father, Son, Holy Spirit, thank you that your son has won definitively. The demon knew what he was up to, and so do we. Because you have told us in your word, and we praise you that your son has conquered 100%, no question, it's done. Thank you. Thank you, thank you that you have conquered. Uh, Because there's no way we could have. Thank you that because of that, all things are safe and make sense. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Text and Context podcast. If you're interested in some other great content, then you can go over to my website. It's txtandcontxt.com. It's Text and Context without E's in it. So again, that's txtandcontxt.com. 
www.thepowerofpositivity.com. Head on over there and check out a bunch of free resources and plenty of articles about a wide range of topics, as well as book reviews and plenty more. Thank you for listening.